Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny Goldberg. Hey everybody, this is Lenny Goldberg and thanks for joining me. This past Shabbat was the Shabbat before Pesach and of course that's called the Shabbat Agadol, the Great Sabbath. And it really is an important introduction to Passover. There's a great message in the Shabbat Gadol, in the Shabbat. The Shabbat Gadol commemorates a basic lesson in Judaism, Emunah, Misut Nefesh, faith in God, that he really is greater than the mighty Paro or the president that sits in the White House. Shabbat Gadol, the great Sabbath that began more than 3,000 years ago on a Sabbath in Egypt. And the verse goes like this in Parshat Bo, speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the 10th day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. Now that might sound mundane, but it's really an awesome commandment. And it was given to every Jew in Egypt. You got to take a lamb and you got to bind it up for four days. You think this is a simple thing? No, it isn't. The lamb wasn't just an animal. It was the very deity of Egypt. It was a hallowed creature before whom the Egyptian bows and whose meat he would not let touch his mouth. And the Jews are commanded to take this lamb, this Egyptian God, in front of their masters, tie it to their bedposts, bind it up. And when the outraged Egyptian masters ask, what are you doing? What's your answer? We're going to slaughter this lamb, this deity of yours, and we're going to eat it. So this is a real provocation of the nations. You know, there is a whole hashkafas in Judaism that build themselves on the premise, you're not allowed to provoke the nations. A solit grot begoyim. Oh yeah? Then what do you say about Shabbat HaGadol? This is the mother of all provocations over here. Anyway, the commandment continues. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roasted with fire. Eat it not partially cooked, nor boiled in water, but roasted, tzli'ish, its head roasted with fire. So think about it. The lamb is slaughtered and roasted whole and fully and openly. You can't cover it in a pot where you can't see it. Its identity can't be disguised by cutting it into pieces. No, no, no. You want the Egyptians to see it roasted like a shawarma turning around. Oh yeah, this is quite a provocation. Because Hashem wants to teach us this eternal lesson that the same Gentile who thundered and said, Mi Hashem, lo yadati et Hashem. The paros who say, I don't know God. I don't know your God. I don't know Hashem. I don't know the God of Israel. I'm not going to let the Jews go. We teach him, oh no, we're going to teach him how to know God. And we're going to take his God and we're going to slaughter it in a humiliating way. Because our goal here is to make his idols crumble. Because we want his idols to be humbled and broken. And so all those who say, you're not allowed to go with the Gentiles. You can't provoke the Gentiles. Well, we got the Shabbat HaGadol to shut them up. And so as we stand a couple days before Passover, the Shabbat HaGadol is our introduction to it. There can't be a Passover without a Shabbat HaGadol before it because that gives us an understanding of what Passover is. The afikomen that we eat on the Seder, it's a zecher, it's a remnant. It's a zecher to what? To the Pesach sacrifice. The Pesach sacrifice is this, the Shabbat HaGadol, which is the ultimate provocation of the nations. And it also exhibits that misiru nefesh, that self-sacrifice that's needed to usher in the redemption. The Jews had to be worthy of redemption, and they weren't. They were on the 49th level of Tumah. So Hashem gave us a mitzvah to make us worthy. And this is the mitzvah He gave us, the Korban Pesach, and that's commemorated in the Shabbat HaGadol, on this great Sabbath that precedes Passover. And so when the child asks the four questions, what's the meaning of this night? Let's not forget to tell him the meaning of this night and the lesson of the Korban Pesach 
and the Shabbat HaGadol. As we all know, this coming Wednesday is the Seder night. Leila Seder and everybody's getting ready. And I wanted to bring something from the Haggadah of the Jewish idea. Commentary by Rabbi Binyamin Zef Kahana. This is quite an Haggadah. It really gets down to the essence of what Pesach's all about. And it's in regard to the four questions. The last question is, on all nights we eat either sitting upright or reclining. And on this night, we all recline so we know that we recline during the Seder, when we drink the wine, when we eat the matzah, and we do that to show that we're b'nei chorin, that we're free men. That's how free men used to eat. And we're demonstrating we're free men by reclining. And we know that there are other ways of demonstrating that we're free during the Seder. For instance, there's a mitzvah not to break the bone of the Paschal sacrifice, because that's not something that a b'nei chorin does. He breaks the bone of the Paschal sacrifice. That's something that a poor slave does. That's not appropriate for a Ben Chorin. And so regarding this idea where we take these actions to show Ben Chorin, Rav Ben Yamin writes the following. It is necessary for the nation of Israel as a kingdom of priests and the holy nation to carry out specific actions which will infuse it with its true identity. That is, we don't break the bone, we recline and so forth. And what is its true identity? That we're not slaves. Our destiny is the greatest of all destinies. And therefore, we have to respect ourselves as free men and act accordingly, not out of a personal pride, but out of a national pride, that we belong to a nation which is the nation of God. And we have been charged with responsibility for God's honor. And he continues, but we have to take the symbolism, which is expressed among other things by the fact that we recline, out of the realm of mere symbolism. We must live up to this idea in practice. Certainly in this generation, when we're in the land of Israel, we have to shake off finally this slave mentality. We must stop educating our children as if they live in a ghetto, weighing on every tiniest step in the scales of what will the nation say? What will the Gentiles say? And if we don't do this, then all the symbolism that we perform this evening has no meaning and it becomes a sterile, empty action like those of a trained monkey. So the point here is that you can recline all you want. You can dress up a chimpanzee in a suit, put him at the Seder, and he can also recline. What you're supposed to do is internalize those actions. You recline because you're a free man. You don't break the bone because you're a free man. These are symbols that express an idea, the idea that we're B'nai Chorin. So if you spend your life worrying, what will the nation say? What will America say if I do this, if I do that? Then what's the point of all these symbols? A monkey can also recline. And this is just an example of a lot of times we do rituals, but they're sterile, rote, external deeds. What they're supposed to be is a manifestation of an inner idea. And all the mitzvahs are like that. Every mitzvah we do has an idea behind it. The outer mitzvah is just the body and the idea is the soul. So we're like bodies without souls. We're just doing things without thinking about it. And so when we recline during our Pesach Seder, let's remember the idea behind it. We're free men. We're not slaves to flesh and blood. We're not subjugates to the White House. We're not some beggar in the doorway. Let's continue just a little bit more in the Haggadah of the Jewish idea by Binyamin Zef Kahana. I wanted to bring one more truth bomb. The Haggadah at one point brings the verse from Ezekiel 16, which means through your blood you shall live. And I said to you, through your blood shall you live. And in that chapter, in the book of Ezekiel, he also says, you were barely clothed and naked. And the sages teach us on this verse that Israel was unworthy of redemption from Egypt. 
They were naked of mitzvot, as the angel said to God, both the Jews and the Egyptians were idol worshippers. So how did the Jews become worthy? But the Machai, through the blood of the Paschal Lamb and through the blood of the circumcision. Those were the two mitzvot that the Jews observed. They were the only ones, but they were two mitzvot that expressed faith in Misru Nefesh, self-sacrifice. The blood of the Korban Pesach, which we just talked about, that took a lot of Misru Nefesh to do that in front of their Egyptian masters. And the blood of the circumcision, they kept that mitzvah too. And of course, the Brit Milah, the circumcision, embodies self-sacrifice and a willingness to undergo physical pain and suffering. So now we understand the verse, but the Maichai, through your blood shall you live, through your blood shall you live. That self-sacrifice, that is the central condition to hasten the redemption. And why is it mentioned twice, through your blood shall you live? Because two mitzvot were observed. One, the Korban Pesach, and second, the Brit Milah. But also, Chazal teach us, it's mentioned twice, because just as the first redemption was in the merit of Misru Nefesh and blood, so will the final redemption be that way. Speaking of self-sacrifice, on the 8th of Nisan, this past Thursday, it was the memorial day, the Yortzeit, of two members of the Stern Gang, also called the Lechi. These two men were hung by the British in 1945. Both of them were named Eliyahu. One was Eliyahu Hakim, a 20-year-old Sephardi Jew, and the other Eliyahu was Eliyahu Bitsuri. He was a blonde kid, 23 years old, who was from a family that had lived in Israel for many generations. And they were hung by the British, why? For the assassination of Lord Moynes, who was at that time the highest British official in the Middle East. Now, Lord Moyne, he was targeted by the Lehi because he was carrying out the white paper policy with a fervor. The white paper was, of course, that British policy where they limited the amount of Jews who can immigrate to Palestine and the Jews who were trying to flee the Holocaust in Europe at that time, well, Lord Moyne was enthusiastically blocking them from entering Palestine, basically condemning them to death. At one point towards the end of the war, the Germans actually offered the British to buy the Jews from them with money. They needed money. They said they'll send a million Jews to Palestine. And Lord Moyne said, what will we do with a million Jews? And he was known for being pretty much an anti-Semite. So anyway, the leadership of the Lehi, which at that time was Natan Yellen, Yisrael Eldad, and Yitzchak Shamir, they decided, as Shamir said, to smash the dragon's head. They decided to assassinate him because Lord Moynes, he was not just responsible for the policy, he was a symbol of the British oppression. Now, they had already tried to assassinate his predecessor, this guy McMichael. They, they took a couple of shots at him. And so the British, being very cautious, stationed Lord Moyne in Cairo, in Egypt, and not in Palestine at that time, because he'd be much safer there. But the long arm of the Lehi reached him in Egypt. How did they do it? How did the two Eliyahus assassinate Lord Moyne? Well, they traveled to Egypt. They watched his every step for two weeks. They got his routine down. And on November 6, 1944, while Lord Moyne was in his car with his bodyguard, they approached his car, brandishing revolvers, and shot at Lord Moyne's three times, killing him. The two Eliyahu's, Eliyahu Bitsuri and Eliyahu Hakim, they seized bicycles they had ready there, leaning against the fence, and they began pedaling frantically to get away. And they were being chased by an Egyptian policeman on a motorcycle. Eliyahu Bitsuri fired at his tires and missed, and the policeman shot back. There was an exchange of fires. Bitsuri got hit, lost his grip on the wheel, 
and the rider and the bike crashed into the pavement. Eliyahu Hakim, who was ahead of him, he looked behind him, saw what happened. He made a wide circle to come back to his companion's rescue. At that point, the crowd, not even knowing why, they just pounced upon them, pummeling them, ripping off their clothes. And, with, and within a few seconds, policemen came and they collared the two boys. And the policemen asked them, who are you? Why did you do this? Eliyahu Betsuri spoke in Hebrew with an astonishing calm. He said, we have nothing to say. We await the judgment of mankind. Well, there was a trial in Cairo, in Eliyahu Betsuri and Eliyahu Hakim. They were hung in Cairo, singing Hatikva on the way to the gallows. Again, Eliyahu Betsuri was 23 years old. Eliyahu Hakim was 20 years old. And the assassination of Lord Moyne, that was a shocker. I mean, that rocked not only the world, but, but the Jewish establishment, especially, who were hysterical more than anybody else. Chaim Weitzman, who headed the Jewish agency and was basically the symbol of the Jewish establishment, he lamented that the death of Lord Moines, he felt worse about that than about the death of his son, who was a pilot and killed in World War II. That's what Weitzman said. And it was after the assassination of Lord Moyne that David Ben-Gurion famously declared the saison, the season, to hunt down Lechi and Etzel fighters and turn them over to the British. That period called the season, when the Haganah hunted down Jews, that was triggered by the assassination of Lord Moyne. And it's only because of heroes like Eliyahu Betsuri and Eliyahu Hakim that we have a state of Israel today. The state of Israel was built on the broken necks of Jews like Eliyahu Betsuri and Eliyahu Hakim. Indeed, through your blood shall you live. It wasn't the diplomacy of Weizmann and Ben-Gurion that brought the state into existence, but it was the blood and fire of the Etzel and the Lehi who blew the British out of Palestine. And every historian knows this. It's in the British archives as well that they just could not allocate so many troops to Palestine. It wasn't worth it for them anymore, and they pulled out. There's a great book by Gerald Frank called The Deed, and it's the complete story of the two Eliyahu's and the killing of Lord Moyne. You really get an understanding of what was going on during that time, what the Lechi was all about, what these two Eliyahu's were all about. So I suggest reading the book The Deed if you can get your hands on it. Now, there's an unbelievable addition to this story of the two Eliyahu's. In 1975, 30 years later, Yitzchak Shamir was a Knesset member, the ex-head of the Lechi, and he brought the bodies back from Egypt to be buried in Har Herzl. So we're talking 30 years after it happened, in 1975, they were hung in 1945, and they bring the bodies back. It was actually a deal where Egyptian prisoners were exchanged for the two bodies, and when they opened up the coffins, the bodies had not decayed. Even the curls in their hair was intact. You can do the research on this stuff. The rabbis of the Hevri Kadisha, Rav Avadia Yosef was there, and Geula Kohn, who was in the Lechi, and she was a prominent member of the Knesset from the Tachia party, she was there. She was witness to it. And she said that during the ceremony at Har Herzl, when they opened the coffin, nobody knew what to expect. And when they removed the coverings of their bodies, they looked at two young boys like they were born anew. Their faces were shining. She said that Yitzchak Shamir turned white when he saw it. So, you know, it says in the Talmud that the Haragei Machut, Rima Lo Sholet Behem, that somebody who sacrifices himself for the nation, the worms don't get to him. His body doesn't decay. And we see that right here with the story of the two Eliyahu's, that 30 years later, their bodies had not decomposed. And I want to stress again, when they did this, they, like all the Lechi, were condemned as the most vicious terrorists, Jewish terrorists. So think about that. When you get called a Jewish terrorist, 
That's a pretty good compliment. You're in good company. Menachem Begin was called the Jewish terrorist. Yair Stern was called the Jewish terrorist. The two Eliyahu's were Jewish terrorists. So that's not a bad thing to be called at all because the Jewish terrorists of yesterday are the heroes of today. Okay, moving over to the news. We can't talk Israel news without talking about the judicial reform debate and how that's developed. In the end, with all the pressure and the strikes and the threats, Netanyahu basically broke. He says he'll delay the judicial reforms now. And we all know what that means. You know, if you don't strike when the iron is hot, you're not going to strike again. And so we see that with all that pressure, the right rolled over. And what the left basically told us, with all their rioting and their closing up of Israel and their willingness to burn Israel down, they told us the following. I don't care how many votes you have. We got the courts and the courts don't answer to you. And they don't answer to the politicians you elect. And not only do we have the courts, we also have the military leadership. We got the intelligence. We got the pilots. We have the academia. We got the medical system. Hey, we can close down the airport. We got that too. You know that they actually closed down Ben-Gurion Airport for a while. We got the police. We got the banks. We got the money. And we got the media. We got all that. And you people, you're insects. You're little bugs. And you'll do as you are told. And if not, we'll just turn off your oxygen. That's what they threatened. That's what they started to do. They turned off our oxygen. No flying. No banks. No departing flights, no Migdalazrieli malls, no gas to fill your car up. So that's what they did. And they're telling us that if you persist in this, we'll start a civil war. And so what the left is saying with all this is, we're not the left. We're the state. We are the establishment. And what did the right say in response? They said, you're right. Let's postpone this whole thing. And we'll come up with some excuse later on how to drop the issue. And so now I think everybody knows what we're dealing with, that we just can't expect anything from our politicians or from the present mechanisms that are in place. I already knew that after they banned Rabbi Kahana in 1988, I realized that you can't break through and that the salvation is going to have to come from another arena outside of the Knesset. Now, how will it come? I don't know, but I do know one thing. It's not going to come without Misirut Nefesh. Huge self-sacrifice, like the self-sacrifice of the two Eliyahu's, like the self-sacrifice and the Misru Nefesh of the Jews in Egypt who shechted the Egyptian deity. It's going to take deeds like that because all great things in history, not only Jewish history, in any history, they only come about through self-sacrifice, a lot of self-sacrifice. So it's not going to be enough for us to go and vote on election day and hope that some politician will bring us to redemption. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to take a lot more than that. As the Haggadah says, through your blood shall you live. And so let our inspiration be Eliyahu Hakim, Eliyahu Batsuri, those Jews who really, in the most simple terms, were Moser Nefesh, self-sacrificed themselves to reach their goal. And they are the ones who teach us the way to bring the blessed redemption. May it happen speedily in our days. That's it for me. If you want to hear more of me, you can tune into Lenny Goldberg's Bible Classes. You can Google that. It's a podcast on Spotify. Lenny Goldberg's Bible Classes. If you want to hear an authentic take on the Bible with Jewish sources, not for nothing is the Bible the most famous book in the world and we learn it the right way. So tune into that. See you next time. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. 
just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dachs, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dachs from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 